I recently read someone's blog reflection. Today my son turned seven and I turned 23. Yes, I had him on the day I turned 16. Many of the choices I made when I was a teenager were beyond foolish, and I still have my regrets. And even though I know I've grown, I sometimes get worried that I'm bringing up my son wrong, that I'm somehow subconsciously passing my past foolishness on to him. But today I took him to the park to celebrate our birthdays. He played for two hours with a girl who had burn scars that covered most of her neck and face. When my son took a break to eat a snack, he pointed to her and said, she's really pretty and cool, which left me thinking, I must be doing something right as a mom. There are many in the world today who regret foolish decisions they made in the past that have lasting consequences. They learned their lesson and now desire to live wisely for themselves and for their family and friends, but are often unsure how to do so. At times, it is a hit or a miss. Thankfully, God has provided a wonderful book in the Bible that gives us practical ways to live wisely so as not to have so many regrets in life. And this book is the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a collection of divinely inspired wise sayings and advice from different authors that help us live our lives in such a way where we can most fully enjoy life as God intended. As we study this book in our new series titled Foolproof, our approach to this book will be a bit different from our other Bible book studies, where we go verse by verse expositionally through all the chapters. We will still study Proverbs verse by verse in the context in which they are written, but we will only cover a sample of selected topics from these 31 chapters. This will give us a flavor of what wonderful wisdom for daily living is found in this book for you to then go back and do further study. Now, before we tackle this book, it is important to point out that in the biblical genre called wisdom literature, of which Proverbs is a part, we need to understand that the truths presented are general principles, meaning they generally hold true. They do not take into account exception cases. Generally, in the grand scheme of life, the principles presented are truth. For example, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, where it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is a general principle that if you properly raise a child with loving discipline, rooted with biblical values, then usually that child will turn out okay when they grow up. However, we all know that there are situations where a child grew up with great Christian parents who lovingly disciplined them, but they still rebelled for a time in their lives, just like in my case. But these exception cases do not negate the truth of the general principle that if parents lovingly discipline their children and guide them when they are young, then they will turn out better when they're older than if parents spoiled their children and did not provide any godly guidance. We will explore what Proverbs has to say about parent-child relationships later in this series. So again, we need to understand in biblical wisdom literature, the inspired truths presented are general principles that in most all cases hold true if lived out. Now, where do we begin? I think it's important to begin with the overall theme of this book, which we see stated in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. So please turn with me in your Bibles there to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. I read now verse 7. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Contextually, knowledge and wisdom here deal with real-life, common-sense things, inclusive of both spiritual and secular matters that are practical, not theoretical in nature. That's why Proverbs is one of the most practical books in the Bible in terms of giving clear life applications, because the wisdom advice and life knowledge presented deals with practical life skills, appropriate behavior, realistic expectations, proper conduct, helpful discernment, overcoming inexperience, clear understanding, and sensibility in all aspects of life. This need for wise living is a running theme throughout the Scriptures. Even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul encourages Christians in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, to be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, the phrase, the fear of the Lord, occurs many times in the book of Proverbs and is often associated with wise living. This fear of the Lord has the idea of humbly acknowledging the person and the power of God, and thus appropriately responding with deferential reverence, earnest trust, and genuine humility, while also desiring a personal relationship with this awesome God. So when this verse mentions the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, it is referring to this life outlook and attitude as the foundation the underlying principle for how to cultivate a life of wisdom and how to live wisely. It is an acknowledgement and admission that the God who is all-knowing is the author of all wisdom and that the Creator God who created the entire universe and sustains life has the answer to all of life's questions. Therefore, it is only natural that a fear of the Lord is the foundation upon which we live wisely. For example, if I want to learn how to play basketball and have access to anyone who has played the game, I would want to learn the fundamentals and strategy of the game from a legendary coach like Phil Jackson, or ball handling skills from someone like Steph Curry, or game mechanics from LeBron James or Michael Jordan. A wise person would seek advice from those men. Only a fool would try to go out and learn the game by himself when you have access to those people or even to seek advice from friends who aren't very skilled in the game, that would just be foolish. And yet time and time again, we look to ourselves for wisdom when we have access to the author of all knowledge. That's why the Bible says in the second part of this verse, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Foolish people are those who shun the wisdom available from the life expert and rely on their own limited knowledge and biased understanding. This is a running theme throughout the book of Proverbs. Why seek advice from the confusion of the world with their limited understanding when there is one whose advice for wise living comes from his omniscience, his all-knowingness? In this verse, fools do not only refer to those who are ignorant and uninformed, but it also includes individuals who are morally rebellious, and willfully disregard God's specific instructions. Because willful disregard for clear instruction and advice yields the very same result and outcome as someone who is ignorant and uninformed. For example, if you didn't know that your mobile phone is not waterproof, and you use it in the swimming pool and accidentally dropped it in the water, 
that would be foolish. But in another scenario, you did know the phone was not waterproof, but ignored that fact and still used it in the swimming pool and accidentally dropped it in the water. That too would be foolish. But guess what? The results would be the same in both scenarios. The phone dies. A fool can either be ignorant and uninformed or someone who willfully disregards clear and given instructions and advice. The results are the same. Now, putting it all together from this verse, we have our first biblical principle for how to live wisely. The way of the wise, number one. Consider God in every aspect of life. Consider God in every aspect of life. When one fears God in reverence and honor, you take into account what God thinks about the matter, what He has said about the matter, how He has revealed to us how He operates. And it is with these considerations a wise person then makes decisions in his or her life. A fool does not factor God into the equation of their life, which leads down a dangerous path. That's why even the author of the book of Ecclesiastes declares that a life lived apart from God is utterly meaningless. A wise person would want to consider God, who is the creator of life and is all-knowing in all aspects of how one lives their life. Now turn with me to chapter 3, where we find more biblical principles for how to walk the way of the wise. I read now verses 1 to 3 of Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life, and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Here in these verses, we see a charge to not forget God's commands, but to actively remember them and live them out. It is for our benefit that we remember God's commands. There is to be an active and willful remembering of what they are. This implies that while we often tend to naturally forget God's commands, there's also an intentionality of not wanting to know what they are. For example, think about how many times you ask for someone's name, but when they tell you, you soon forget it. That happens because we honestly don't care to remember their names, and it's just common courtesy to ask for their names. We think, we'll never meet them again, or they're not so important or useful to me to remember their names. So we don't intentionally file their names into our memory banks. But on the other hand, if you ask the name of someone you are attracted to and desire to get to know more, I can assure you, you will remember their name. So it is with God's commands. If you don't want to know what it is, it is so easy to forget. So many listen to a sermon online or on site. But if you were to ask them for the main points of the message, the moment they step out of the sanctuary or finish watching the video, they couldn't tell you. They were not intentional in trying to remember or learn, so they quickly forget. Let's say, for example, you have to remember a four-digit PIN code for your ATM card, but you don't have paper or pen to write it down, and you can't put it into your phone for security purposes. What do you do? You memorize and repeat that number over and over again. Four, five, six, eight. 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 Until it is ingrained in your mind. You will even test yourself until it is locked in your memory. It is the same idea as it relates to God's instructions and commands. We are to actively remember it so that it won't be easily forgotten. 
In fact, God's commands should be close to your head and heart, as the figurative words seem to suggest. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. When God's commands are remembered in your head and pondered in your heart, it becomes a part of you. You know, my friends, it's so easy to disregard God's commands. In fact, we don't have to do anything. We simply do not read the Bible or listen to what it has to say. Without a proactive desire to remember, it is forgotten. And without a constant reminder from God's Word for what is wise living, it won't be at the forefront of our minds. That's why people do foolish things, because they don't have anything there reminding them and telling them what they are doing is foolish. You see, our second biblical principle for how to live wisely is this, the way of the wise, number two. Remember and apply God's instructions. Remember and apply God's instructions. That's why Scripture memory is so important. When you memorize Scripture, just like you memorize the song lyrics of your favorite songs, it will be at the forefront of your mind. And the Holy Spirit will bring those verses to mind at an opportune time to guide you, to caution you, to comfort you, to remind you to live wisely and not make foolish decisions. I remember in those years I wasn't walking with the Lord in my college and young adult years. I thank the Lord that it was the Bible verses I memorized in Sunday school growing up that it would pop up in my mind out of the blue to serve as a reminder and a warning of what God desires of my life. I thank the Lord for that because of those memorized verses and Christian songs ingrained in my mind, the Holy Spirit used it to prevent me from sinning deeper and getting into more trouble and doing foolish things I would regret. You know, it's hard to sin in the dark places when verses like Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 remind us that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So as wise people remember good advice, an even wiser person remembers God's spiritual and practical instructions, we have to remember and apply. If we are not intentional in knowing and remembering, then we naturally forget and become fools. I read now verse 4. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and men. The results of remembering and living out God's instructions are clearly spelled out in verse 4. One will find favor and be well regarded in the sight of both God and men. I love the balance noted here of being held in high regard by both God and men. Now, we all know that it is important to have the Lord view us with favor and approval. But while we do not live for man's approval, since we live in this world and the Great Commission calls us to share with unbelievers our faith in Jesus Christ, then it is important that the people in our spheres of influence think of us highly, even if they may not like us. You see, my friends, liking someone and respecting them are two different things. You may not agree with someone, but you can still respect them. And that's how we want the world to see us. They may not like us, or they may not even agree with us, but they should respect us. And this happens when we live wisely. Eve, as a Christian, the world thinks you're obnoxious, proud, uncollaborative, aloof, unteachable, rigid, inflexible, out of touch, lacking common sense. 
then your ability to carry out the work of the Great Commission will be impacted and limited. That's why remembering and living out God's commands in wise living comes with it the benefit of respect from both God and men. And this is our third biblical principle for how to live wisely. The way of the wise, number three, gain the respect of both God and man. Gain the respect of both God and man. Again, let me be very clear. I'm not saying we live our lives for the approval of man, compromising our biblical convictions. But we should live wisely in order to gain the respect of the world so that we can be better witnesses for Jesus Christ. That is what the Apostle Paul says when he notes in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 18, that we should never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Earn the world's respect. Titus chapter 3, verse 2 says the same thing. Since in the world we live, respect is earned and cannot be demanded. We Christians need to wisely live our lives in such a way that we will earn the respect of others so that our Christian voice and biblical perspectives can then be heard. Closer to home, do you think your spouse will willfully submit to you if they do not respect you? Do you think your children will listen to you or naturally seek your advice if they do not respect you? That's why the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that we earn respect through our godly conduct and wise living. We earn the respect of others through our godly conduct and wise living. As someone wrote, you can act in a way that generates respect regardless of age or experience. The opposite is also true. You can behave in a way that causes people to lose respect for you. A person who lives wisely gains the respect of both God and man. If we understand that Christians are to work towards gaining the respect of both God and man, then that should give us pause to think through all of our actions and words. We need to ask ourselves, if we do this or that, will we earn the respect of God and others? If we say this or that, will we earn the respect of God and others? This earning of respect will motivate us and should motivate us to live wisely. David Mathis reminds us, whether in private conversation with friends, family, and coworkers, or in the public speech that an increasing number engage in through the web and social media, we are prone to forget the depravity into which we were born and the sin that still courses in our veins. But we are called to remember from where we've come and the sinful proclivities we're still fighting within. The Christian's charge is not to respond to fools with folly, but to cultivate the empathy that is fitting when we're aware that we ourselves were once foolish, but for God's grace, and still war against our foolishness in many respects. New Testament scholar Don Carson adds, one of the things that Christians have to learn in this frame of reference is, even if the whole society becomes uncivil in all discourse, we must not descend to that level. We must not project ourselves as screaming, angry people, but as broken people living under the cross, submitting to the Lordship of Christ, wanting to think fairly and accurately and faithfully and truly and hopefully and edifyingly in a Christ-honoring, church-building-up sort of way. My friends, when Christians gain the respect of others through wise living, 
then they will have a voice and a seat at the table by which to speak about the truths of the Scripture and share about Jesus Christ. Now look with me at verses 5 to 8. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. In these familiar verses, the Bible calls us to trust in the Lord. Note, with all of your heart, do not place your trust in your own knowledge and understanding. Because if we humbly acknowledge and submit to the source and author of all wisdom, that we can find guidance for how to best live out this life. Verse 8 reminds us that it is good for us and to our benefit to trust in God and not in ourselves. But I want to point out that phrase in verse 7 where it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, because it calls us out. The cause of why we do not trust God with all of our hearts and in all our ways acknowledge Him is because we are wise in our own eyes. We think we're smart enough. We think we know enough. We think we can do it by ourselves without needing anyone to tell us what to do. Verse 7 hits it right on the nail. Sadly, our own hearts deceive us. The prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And in Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Matthew chapter 15, verse 19 warns us, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Many of us believe in our own hype. We wrongly think we are wise and know what is best for us, so we naturally don't need God or anyone else to tell us what to do. But the Bible corrects this wrong notion. As Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26 so bluntly puts it, Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. These cautionary words give us a fourth biblical principle to living wisely, and it is this, the way of the wise, number four. Trust in God alone and not in ourselves. Trust in God alone and not in ourselves. And while we may know this principle and even memorize these verses, yet the pride of our heart makes it very difficult for us not to trust in ourselves. Again, the Bible warns us not to do so. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. A man of understanding will attain, will get wise counsel. What practical biblical advice for people who trust in their own abilities and do not seek outside counsel or only surround themselves with like-minded people. You and I know many people who are stuck in so-called echo chambers because they only listen to the same perspectives and opinions over and over again. This can create paranoia and misinformation, distorting a person's perspective so much that they have a very difficult time accepting opposing views, often fueled in part by confirmation bias, which is a tendency to favor information 
that only reinforces existing beliefs. And this happens when there is no accountability, differing perspectives, and checks and balances. The Bible warns us practically, lean not on your own understanding. Susan Tardinico in her article, Your Inner Circle, Beware of Suck-Ups and yes Men," suggests that you have the following type of people in your inner circle of advisors if you are a leader. You need the contrarian. The contrarian pushes you to think differently by taking opposing views, constantly questions, using worst-case and what-if scenarios to challenge your thinking. You need the everyman. The everyman is plugged into the lower levels of the organization and can help you understand the impact of your actions from that perspective. You need the optimist. The optimist provides best-case scenarios and positive energy during difficult times. You need the voice of the customer. The voice of the customer is an advocate for your clients and helps you stay aware of their needs, perspectives, expectations, and competitive choices. You need the bleeding heart. The bleeding heart is the empathetic member of your circle and keeps you aware of the potential impact of your decisions and actions on people. And then you need the sage. The sage is hard to come by. If you're lucky enough to have one, a sage helps you stay calm amid the storm, is a thoughtful strategist, plays the role of coach, and has the most impartial point of view of all. My friends, even the secular world recognizes the need to humbly seek outside voices, not your own, even if it incurs disagreements, to allow you to make wise decisions and avoid life's pitfalls. The Bible tells us we all have access to the great sage that we all need, who is always available and willing to help. This sage and life expert is none other than God Himself, who is all-knowing and holds the future in His hands. Therefore, living out His instructions and principles is always the right move. This life expert will help us from making foolish decisions that will cost us dearly. If you're not familiar with the TV show called Pawn Stars on the History Channel, it's about a pawn shop in Las Vegas where people try to pawn off supposedly rare and collectible things. Often people bring in merchandise that they claim is authentic with a very interesting and believable backstory and worth lots of money. But as Rick Harrison and his family who own the pawn shop know, they better call in the experts or else they may be fooled. And these experts come from all over Clark County, Nevada, and they're often able to authenticate the items and to sort out the reels from the fakes. I remember watching an episode where a man came into the gold and silver pawn shop looking to sell a print believed to be by the Renaissance master, Raphael. It got the shop's art appraiser very excited, but it turned out the print wasn't a Raphael original. Rick's art appraiser convened with another expert and determined that the paper it was on wasn't from the appropriate time period. It was only about 150 years old. If the print really was Raphael's, it would have been valued in the hundreds of thousands of dollars range, but it only ended up being worth about three to $400. The experts saved the day and saved the Harrisons a lot of money. Wise people consult with experts, and really wise people consult with the life expert, the Lord God, the creator of life, about life matters. 
I read now verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In these verses, there's a wonderful reminder to not hold so tightly on to our earthly possessions, but instead to be good stewards of what has been entrusted to us and honor the Lord with it. Being good stewards would entail giving back to the Lord that which He has so lovingly and graciously given us as an act of worship. In verse 10, there is a promise of return blessings when one does this. But remember, since this is a proverb and not a promise, then it should be taken as a general principle. It does not mean Christians today who give will become monetarily rich, but only that God will return to us blessings in various forms. In fact, in verses 13 to 14 of chapter 3, it is written, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. The Bible tells us the pursuit of wise living and the various blessings that come with it is worth far more than any material blessings. We see this to be true in life. For example, if you win an argument but lose a friend in the process, was it worth it? When you are 80 years old, are you going to be happy you still won that fight many years ago and do so in your loneliness? If you have a lot of money in life, but because of that money you have ignored and divided your family and friends, was it worth it? Or if you've worked so hard to get what you've wanted, but in the process ruined your health with the added stress, will the money you earned cure you from your sickness? As someone once recounted, I recently met a super wealthy and influential businessman at a corporate conference. The man had a net worth of over $100 million. In conversation, he told me he regretted never making it to his son's hockey games or his daughter's dance recitals. It made me smile because my total net worth is probably only as much as this man's last paycheck. But I've made it to every one of my children's events. And my two children always smile and wave to me in the stands during practice and on game days. And this is our fifth principle for how to walk the way of the wise. The way of the wise, number five. Recognize the need for eternity-focused stewardship. Recognize the need for eternity-focused stewardship. This eternity-focused stewardship stands in contrast to the usual temporary-focused stewardship of our earthly resources and time that cause us to live foolishly. In the striving to have more and gain more quickly and to keep all, we will do many foolish things. Think about the gambler who wants to get rich quickly, only to lose all that they have and even to go into debt. We would call that man foolish for not having self-control. But can we really blame him for wanting what many of us want? To have more, to gain it quickly, to keep it all? In many ways, whether you're actually gambling or not at a casino, you are gambling with your life if you don't live out eternity-focused stewardship. Because the foolish pursuit of the temporary will cause us to lose out on what is the most important thing in life, a relationship with our Lord for all eternity. Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 reminds us, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
As Mark Chernoff observes, 10 years from now, it won't really matter what shoes you wore today, how your hair looked, or what brand of clothes you wore. What will matter is how you lived, how you loved, and what you learned along the way. Deep down inside, you know this already, right? Yet today, just like the majority of us, you're easily distracted and derailed by the insignificant. You give too much of your time to meaningless time wasters. You step through the day skeptically with inner resistance. You take your important relationships for granted. You get caught up in hurtful drama. You give in to your doubts, and the list goes on. But why? Why do you follow these hurtful patterns of behavior? Why do you set yourself up for regret when you know better? But the older we grow, the more focused we tend to become, and the less pointless drama, distraction, and busyness we engage in. Life humbles us gradually as we age. We begin to realize just how much nonsense we've wasted time on, and we begin to adjust our focus toward what's truly important. My friends, if the secular world can recognize this, how much more we who are followers of Jesus Christ? Before you have to grow old, and before it's too late to figure it all out, how then will you live your lives? As wise people or as fools? Remember, to walk the way of the wise is to, number one, consider God in every aspect of life. Number two, remember and apply God's instructions. Number three, gain the respect of both God and man. Number four, trust in God alone and not in ourselves. Number five, recognize the need for eternity-focused stewardship. Let me leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a wonderful reminder from the book of Proverbs that we are called to walk the way of the wise. But yet many of us are living foolishly because we have trusted only in our own abilities. We've forgotten that our trust should be solely upon you, that we need to consider you in every aspect of our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would remember and apply your instructions, hold it close to our heads and heart. May it be at the forefront of our thought life. And I pray, Lord, that we will always recognize that we are living for eternity, that the stewardship of our life is to be eternity-focused. And so, Lord, help each of us to be wise in our ways so that we may avoid the pitfalls of foolish living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.